the church said amen. Good morning. How are you doing today? I um, had the privilege of going to the um, a new members class for our Spanish congregation. And I want to report to you that there were 20 fabulous new members that joined our church today in the Spanish congregation. Absolutely unbelievable. How many of you are enjoying the rain today? Amen. Yes. When I was a kid growing up, just a few years ago, we had how many television stations, right? We had ABC, NBC, and and some of you remember that at midnight they would play the national anthem and then it would all go to fuzz, right, after that? Anybody remember those days? Well, that's where we got our entertainment. That's where we got our sports. That's where we primarily got the news. In fact, we even felt like we were friends with Walter Cronkite. Amen? Dan Rather and uh, Harry Reasoner. And some of you will even remember Chet Huntley and David Brinkley. Anybody remember? We trusted them. We believed them, and they seemed to even have a classy way of delivering the news to us, even if it was bad news. They just did it with a certain uh, class. And it was, uh, sometimes it was, not, uh, it was possible to see them even be vulnerable, if not emotional, or slightly emotional at least, when delivering some of the news. Well, today things are much different. We have so many ways that the news gets to us. And certainly it comes to us much faster than it ever did before. I mean, my goodness, how many television stations do we have now? What, 900-something? We still can't find anything to watch? We have entire networks that are uh, dedicated just to giving us the news 24-7. We have endless radio stations. We have the Internet where we can go to find out whatever is happening, anything that's happening anywhere at the world, in, in the world, and instantly we can find out. And then there are a few people around who still read this thing called the newspaper, right? And then we have this new phenomenon that seems to have cropped up in the last year or so, this thing called fake news which means you can't even be sure if that which you hear through conventional means is even true or not. And that's just all the stuff we, we go to to get. That doesn't, even, uh, that doesn't even mention all the stuff that comes to us, meaning that you now can set your smartphone to get notifications and information can come directly to you. In my car, I have a place to quickly access Fox News and CNN News and listen while I'm uh, driving and listen to those stations until I've had enough. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? And frankly, it sometimes doesn't take long for me to become so completely disgusted with any of them that I am looking for something to divert my attention that is less depressing, less aggravating, less irritating, less annoying, less divisive, and something less prone to incite fear. We've got to be honest today that we recognize that most of the news that we hear is bad news, right? Most of it is. Occasionally you'll hear a nice little story of some kind, but most of the news we get is, is bad news. Of all the solo vocal artists with whom I was privileged to produce over the last three and a half decades, and there were many, though they were all to me brilliant in their own unique expression, there was no voice any finer or more majestic or what other word would I use, more enthralling than the voice of Mr. Wintley Phipps. Brilliant, brilliant man. He sang here one Christmas for us. 
and I, I either four, I think it was five recording albums that I arranged, produced, and orchestrated for him. It was a privilege to do. All but one of them was recorded with the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra in uh, the city of Prague, Czech Republic, which was a decision of a record company. And of all the songs that we, we produced with him, and of all the moments of production with his highly esteemed vocalist, who, by the way, has sung for presidents and governors and senators and all of Washington's elite and the Billy Graham Crusades, Oprah Winfrey Show, and many other highly visible venues. But of all the moments that I was privileged to share with Mr. Phipps, none stands out to me more than the moment I stood before the orchestra in Prague and conducted for him the tune, No Need to Fear. Magnificent voice, phenomenal tune, incredible orchestra. I, I truly did not deserve to be there, but I was privileged to be there for that moment. Let me just give you some of the lyrics. And I'm telling you, no one can sing it like that gentleman can. No need to fear when times of trouble come. Oppression storm beats at your door, but no need to fear. No need to fear, though evil seems so strong, its pride and power is not for long. So be still, my soul, and trust in God, and place your life into His hands, for He will never, ever fail you, and in the morning, you'll see His face. No need to fear. Don't fear. And he goes on, he sings, but as for me, of this I'm sure, God will redeem my soul from death, and He will never, ever fail me, and in the morning... I'll see his face. No need to fear. Don't fear. Absolutely a moment in time I will never forget. Stunning, stunning song. And yet, with all the encouragement of that song, the fact remains that it gets harder and harder for us to take in the news these days in whatever form that, that it gets to you. Certainly this last political season was brutal. There's nukes for uh, Iran. There, we have fires and buildings collapsing. We have plane crashes and planes missing, the bus accident that took place this week in New Braunfels. We have Russia playing hardball. We have ISIS doing more damage all over the world and threatening our own country, certainly. Amtrak isn't without its tragedies. Children abductions. I mean, my goodness, I think the Amber Alert went off, what, at least twice this week that I saw. It's constantly bad news for us. But with the barrage, church, of bad news... I don't know about you, but I find myself constantly in need of being reminded that God is sovereign, He is in control, and He's got the whole world in His hands. In the midst of a world that is getting darker and darker, how many of you would like some good news this morning? Well, my goal today is to help us all find a healthy and godly way to process all the junk that is coming to us from headline news. And to, as believers, keep our balance, keep our equilibrium and our head on our shoulders, with our feet on the ground, but our heart ever turned toward the majesty of our great God. So to do that, I want to start by bringing up a word that is sometimes overused, sometimes misused, often greatly misunderstood, and it's a church word. There's lots of words like this that those of us who grew up in church have carried with us, like baggage. Maybe we didn't even fully have it explained to us at, 
when we first heard it, and now we have almost a convoluted idea of what that word is. But I want to explore the meaning and definition of this church word this morning, and I'm going to be brave enough to look at it from a rather unique vantage point in Scripture. Clearly, those of us with a strong church background have, have carried lots of these kinds of words, and we've become almost loose in the way we've thrown them around, if not downright sloppy. Sometimes we say a word, but we don't even understand the word, and it can happen to all of us. Well, the word I want to talk to you about this morning that I want to mention is this. It's that word called, that we say called anointing, anointing. And I think by exploring it a bit, particularly with something that I have discovered in Scripture that I want to unpack to you today, if you will give me your attention for just a few minutes, I think it can even help us with our perspective on current events and all the news that comes to us. You know how we use that word anointing. We say like this, well, she was anointed when she sang, or that service was anointed, or when they prayed, there was an anointing on them. So... What exactly does that mean? Because it can be interpreted in so many different ways. Is anointing only for preachers and singers? Is anointing only for people who have a microphone in their hand? Is there an anointing for someone sitting in the pew? Or do you have to walk up these steps to receive an anointing? Is anointing just for the choir? Is an anointing just for prophets, priests, and kings? So many different ways that we can look at it. Well, let me say it to you this way. The anointing of God is when God enables us outside of ourselves to do His work more effectively, which is done in God's strength and with God's help. Can I get an amen to that this morning? The anointing of God is when God enables us outside of ourselves to do His work more effectively, which is done in God's strength and with God's help, which means this, you can be anointed without a microphone in your hand, and you can be anointed without a title like pastor in front of your name. Unfortunately, we have misunderstood so often this word anointing, and there are some people who think that anointing only comes to those who've got it together spiritually. That's what we have decided. We've decided, oh, it's only for the people who are, who've got it all together and they, they do it all right. They don't cuss, they don't chew, they don't go with those who do. They've given up all the typical things we call sin and they're at church all the time. They tithe regularly. They, those people deserve anointing. Let me tell you, none of us deserve anointing. Those same people who will say that if that's what they think about anointing, it's for those who've got it together spiritually. They're, those are the same people who might say something like this. That's, that's something that happens to other people. That doesn't happen to me. That's, a, that's for other people. Well, what if I told you? Are you listening to me this morning? What if I told you that you can be crazy and be anointed? Some of you are thinking of a few people. I know I can see it on your face. Please don't say their name out loud. I beg you. Surely not. Let me, um, I'm going to go one step further. But I want you to hear me out and give me the chance to prove it to you biblically. What if I told you 
Are you listening to me? What if I told you that you can be unsaved and be anointed? Ooh. Now, Dan, now you've gone too far. You've gone way too far. Well, I'm going to take you to one of the strangest anointings in the Bible. Okay? It's the current event. It's the headline news in the book of Isaiah. Where God takes a wicked man, an idolater, and he anoints him. I'm asking you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. This is the only time that this word anointing that I'm aware of, that I've discovered, is connected in the Bible with someone who we would say is not even saved, has no relationship with God whatsoever. He was the most powerful man on the planet. We would call him godless. We would call him unregenerated. But God anointed him for a specific purpose. Do I have your attention yet this morning? Isaiah 45, let me start with verse 1. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus. And then what does he call him? His anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened, never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Now, who God is anointing here is this man named Cyrus. This man is a king, no relationship with God. He's a king of Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And God looks at him to say, Cyrus, I'm going to anoint you to do something for which you have no idea about what, uh, what's about to take place. To call this man Cyrus as one who is anointed would be uh, about as crazy as me saying to you this morning that Vladimir Putin is anointed, okay? Or about the same as me saying to you, I'm, I'm really trying to get your attention. It's about the same as saying to you that Kim Jong-un is anointed, He's the ruthless leader of North Korea, in case you haven't been watching the news. And God says, I'm going to take the most powerful man on the planet, irrespective of anything about him, and I'm going to anoint him. It's the only place in the Bible where an unbeliever is anointed and told he would be God's chosen vessel for a certain task that God wanted to take place. And God is going to anoint him to get the children of Israel out of captivity, which was in Babylon. And Cyrus is going to be God's instrument to get them from Babylon back to Jerusalem and build the temple and build the wall. God says, I'm going to anoint you, Cyrus, without you having any understanding even that I, the Lord, am in charge of this planet, not you. You don't even understand that, but I'm going to anoint you. Therefore, because I am in charge, I can anoint, I can use whomever I want, whenever I want, to accomplish my will. That's what God is saying. Now, I'm going to ask you to humor me for about two minutes here because I want to give you some background on Cyrus. You need to know something about this man for you to get this message. 
And I, just give me a little bit of time. I'll be quick with it to give you some facts. Some of you will remember in Daniel chapter 5 when the then king Belshazzar sees the handwriting or, or the finger writing on the wall that completely freaks him out. And he, he turns pale and his, his knees get weak and he, you know, his legs fall from underneath him. And Belshazzar, he summons some, is there not anybody in the kingdom, anyone in my kingdom who can tell me what that means, that handwriting on the wall? And so he summons Daniel. They say, yes, there's a guy named Daniel. He can, he can tell us. And so he brings him in. He says, what does this mean? And then he sees these words, mene, mene, tikel, parson. It's in Daniel chapter 5, in case you're questioning me. Mene, mene, tikel, parson. And Daniel interprets it by telling Belshazzar that his kingdom, Belshazzar, your kingdom is going to end and it's going to end soon. And in fact, it's going to end tonight. Mene, M-E-N-E, means numbered. God has numbered your days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tikel, T-E-K-E-L, means weighed. You have been weighed in the balances and found to not have measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom, Belshazzar, has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Well, that's exactly what happened. His kingdom came to an end. And it was Cyrus, the guy we've read about today, who came in. He overthrew Belshazzar. He becomes the third king of Babylon or Persia or Iran. They're all synonymous. And it was now this unsaved king, Cyrus, who by God's appointment assists the Jews in getting back to Jerusalem to not only rebuild the temple under Ezra and Zerubbabel, but God is also going to use Cyrus to restore the temple and all of the items that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen, which we read about in chapter 1. And Cyrus sends those items back with the Jews. So, everybody take a deep breath. You got all that? So we say all that to say that here is a man who is under God's authority and rulership, and he is someone that today you and I would call him completely unsaved, completely far from God. That's how you and I would define him. Listen, church. Always remember what Proverbs 21.1 says. It's this. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. Let's be clear about this this morning. And I'm going to say it as loud as I can say it. God is in charge of this planet. Let the earth know God is in charge of this planet. Well, Cyrus... Historians tell us, let me tell you a little more about him. He was an idol worshiper. He was a follower of Zoroaster, who played a dominant religious role in Persia. So it was clearly known, clearly understood, well publicized that Cyrus was an idolater, not a God follower in any way. But the anointing that this man gets is where God steps in and Cyrus doesn't even know what's happening. So. Let's use this to help us get a perspective today on current events in this crazy world that we live in. Because of all these new levels of terrorism taking place, of our national debt that's spinning out of control, governments making ridiculous decisions, our own government making absolutely absurd decisions at times, 
But understand this, church, whether it's here in America or around the world, by looking this morning at Cyrus, we see that Cyrus gets to be king and he gets to have a kingdom because God directed he would be king. I say it again, God is in charge of this planet. He is in charge of this planet. Not voting, not the people, not a Supreme Court, not Congress, not the British Parliament. In fact, let me say it to you this way from Daniel chapter 4, verse 26, where the Bible says it clearly, heaven rules this planet. Heaven rules. Nobody else. Heaven is in charge of what's going to take place on this earth because the Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. Here's this godless man who's chosen by God to deliver whether he is a believer or not. My goodness gracious. I'm going to go on in our text. Isaiah 45, verse 3 again. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world, from east to west, will know that there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. He's saying to Cyrus, Cyrus, besides me, there is no other God. I don't even have any competition. I don't think you're hearing a word I'm saying today. No, Zoroaster, that God that you, small g, that you followed, he's not even any competition. And guess what God says to Cyrus? There is no other God but me, and I'm going to equip you for battle, though you don't even know me. Why? Why is he doing that? He makes it clear. So that men may know from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. That's why he's doing it. Church, having this understanding ought to change our perspective on world news. Let me tell you something. Putin could be God's anointed, but God is in charge. I'm scaring some of you today. Kim Jong-un of North Korea could be anointed, but God is in charge. The Ayatollah of Iran, Netanyahu of Israel, Prime Minister Theresa May of the UK, all the way to every ISIS and Al-Qaeda leader. Well, God quieted. God can anoint anyone he chooses in order to get his work done because he is no respecter of persons. God will accomplish his will, so we simply say, may his kingdom come. May his will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Don't ever forget this. There is no panic in heaven. There is no panic in heaven. You may be panicked out of your gourd today, but there is no panic in heaven. God has no problems. He just has plans. Somebody ought to say, bless the Lord. 
There is no one that God cannot use. He can use the ungodly and he can use the godly. I have noticed, however, that God does seem to have an attraction to, or some would say a penchant for, the most unlikely. How many unlikelies do we have in the room today? Well, in case you're still doubting me, some of you looked at me like I've lost my mind. I'm going to show you Psalm 76, verse 10. Happens to be a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph says this, man, I didn't hear this preached when I was a kid. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you, the psalmist says. I love the way the New Living says it when they say, human defiance only enhances your glory. What? That's what the psalmist said. Human defiance only enhances your glory. For God, you use it as a weapon. So whatever rises up against God, listen to me this morning, Bethesda, we have no need to fear, no need to worry. In fact, we read in Psalm 2 that God laughs when men try to rise up against him. Laughs at them. Aren't they cute? I want you to see in this this morning that we serve a great, big, wonderful God. What am I trying to do to you this morning? I'm trying to get you to lift your gaze. Trying to get you to open your eyes. Trying to remind you who've known for 50, 60, 70 years that God is great, but somehow your world has become small. The fears of this world have encroached upon you. Trying to get you to lift your eyes to see that God is in charge and you have no need to fear. I so respect what one Army Reserve chaplain did when he was challenged with a terrorist, terrorism problem. His name is Thomas Bruce. He heard a sermon at his church, and he saw faces of people being put up on the screen that he just couldn't believe that the church would put those faces up there because his pastor said that morning that there is a command found in Christianity that is not found in any other religion because Jesus said to show love. Not only to strangers and sinners, but also show love to those who are outright adversarial. Even show love to our enemies, those who are our enemies. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said what? He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And then that pastor, Thomas Bruce's pastor, that army chaplain, his pastor, he did the most outrageous thing. He put on the screen a photo of a dozen Al-Qaeda terrorists. And he asked this question of the church. What would happen if every church in the United States would adopt a member of Al-Qaeda or ISIS, learn to pronounce their name, and pray for them on a daily basis? Oh, my goodness. Who's thought of that? What would happen in our prayer service at 6 p.m. if we got really serious about the matters of this world? And we begin to pray for those who are trying to terrorize not only us, but the other nations of the world. Think about that. What if all of a sudden we put up all these faces up here that are shown in the news that we're, and, and, that, that we're trying to get, the country's trying to get, and we say, yeah, we have them up there too because we're trying to get them too. And we're trying to get them to Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. So this chaplain, when he saw this at his church, he took the charge seriously. 
just before mobilizing for a duty in Iraq, he launched a website that's called Adopt a Terrorist for Prayer. Now don't look it up now. Do it when you get home. I can see you trying to do it on the side, so just remember I can see you, okay? Adopt a Terrorist for Prayer. ATFP.org is what it's called. Adopt a Terrorist for Prayer. He registered the website. And what does he do? He posts photos of the most dangerous terror, uh, terrorists on the list of the FBI and the State Department. The most wanted men and women in the world. And he's asking Christians around the globe to adopt one of these characters for prayer. The audacity of the man. And he says this, learn to say their name and then pray for them every day. Because do you know what happens when you start praying, do you believe God's big enough to change a terrorist? Really? Is our God big enough to rule this world? Is our God big enough to make a difference even in the most wicked heart on the planet? What happens when you start praying for people? You know what? You start to love them. And when you start loving people, guess what? Perfect love casts out what? All fear. I no longer fear you because I'm praying for you. Because God has given me a love for my enemies that I could never, ever have gotten on my own. Some of you aren't even worried about a terrorist. You're worried about the person in the next cubicle to you at work. You see them as your worst enemy. Let me tell you something. You begin to pray for them and God can do something in your heart that you couldn't even, today, you can't even imagine. That person who's done you wrong... The person you have every right to have every bitterness against, you begin to pray for them and watch what God does in your heart. I just happen to be naive enough to believe God can do that in the lives of His people. It's a miracle that only the Lord can do. Bethesda, there is no end to what God can do, and He's in charge, and there's no end to what He's doing. Loving your enemies is absolutely unthinkable to some of us here this morning. But God can do that which is unthinkable because God can do the impossible. Can I get any kind of witness to that today? And he's doing so much all the time. We don't even, my goodness, we don't even recognize. We don't even have the slightest sensitivity to all that God is doing. As he's working in this earth, he's working through you. We just go blindly on our day, never aware of how much God is doing in and through us. In fact, let me tell you this, John ends his incredible gospel in John 21 with these words, John 21, 25. He said, he's already given in his gospel all that Jesus had done that he recorded in his gospel. And he says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Okay, think about this. John says that what Jesus did in those three years, in those three years, was so immense, so vast, he said that if we wrote everything that Jesus did in three years, the world could not even contain the documentation. That's how much God is doing. And yet we know that Hebrews 13.8 says that he is the same yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has not just been working for three years, he's been working the last 2,000 years so not only what I propose to you today, could our planet not contain all that he's doing, the universe could not contain all the things that God is doing right now. We forget that God is always working. 
And if in three years the planet could not hold the documentation, what do you think he's been doing the last 2,000 years? We could never hold the documentation on that because we serve an amazing God. So here's what I've come to tell you this morning. If you walked in here today, it's raining outside, kind of made you gloomy, and you can't find one thing to sing about. Worship leaders singing their hearts out this morning, motivating us to sing and worship. But you came in and you couldn't find one reason to worship God today. You couldn't find one reason to lift your voice and lift your hands and lift your heart to God. Then you know what, dear one, you have just forgotten what God is doing and how much he's working in your life. And you need to borrow something from what he did yesterday. Because we just said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you can't find it for today, borrow something he did yesterday. Borrow something he did last week. If you can't see it today, then borrow from yesterday. And if you can't see yesterday, then borrow from tomorrow. Because he is in charge and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you do have something to worship him about. Let me say this. There's not a world dictator There's not a country, there's not a prime minister, there's not an ayatollah, there's not a religious leader, there's not a president that is over God. God is in charge of this planet, and that gives you and I something to rejoice about. And dare I say it, it ought to give us something to shout about this morning. Somebody ought to give a hallelujah to the Lord today. It does not matter what's on the news, God is in control. And there is no need to fear. Say those four words with me. No. Say it again. It doesn't matter who is ruling. God overrules everybody. Breathe, Dan. Breathe. I need somebody to pray for me today. With all that's happening today, I know it's easy. To be hit with so much anxiety. I understand that. All the threats, the questions. We're going to get hit with a dirty bomb. Is North Korea going to be able to hit us with a missile? Are my kids even safe in school from a shooter? And anxiety can mount and mount and mount and mount. So what do we do about that? Well, Proverbs 12:25 says this. Worry weighs a person down. Means you've gotten too much weight. How many would like to go on a diet today? Nervous giggle, nervous giggle, nervous giggle. Worry weighs a person down. But an encouraging word cheers a person up. Before I close, if I can close in the next few minutes, I'm going to give you two encouraging words before we pray. That feeling of nervousness, that uneasiness, that feeling of uncertainty for tomorrow, uncertainty for your children, the pressure of tomorrow, the pressure of society, the pressure of this world pushing and pushing and pushing, trying to crush can just squeeze the life out of us. Some of you are feeling the intensity of the squeeze even this morning as I'm speaking. I know some of you already know this. But the deeper a submarine goes, the water pressure becomes more intense. That's why they have to be so careful about how deep they go. They can withstand the water pressure that's trying to crush this submarine that's made of steel, even though 
the water is so strong. But they say that the thing that keeps it from absolutely collapsing and being crushed is not just the steel, but it's the pressurized cabin. If they have the right internal pressurization, it means that the deeper they go, the pressure inside becomes stronger than the pressure that's trying to crush the thing from the outside. Are you with me? The same thing is in an airplane, you pilots. An internal, the internal pressure keeps the outside pressure from crushing it. And I think most of us know something about outside pressure, don't we? There's a few folks in here who do. Everything around you is, is, is trying to crush us from all this news that we get. Maybe you're, some of you mamas are saying, I just don't know if my kids are going to make it. I mean, some of you literally go this far. I don't even know that they're going to even grow up. I'm afraid they're going to be killed in this world somehow. That they're going to become drug users. And so crush, crush, crush. Pressure from the outside. My marriage is collapsing. My spouse has become someone completely different. Or, 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 or maybe you're feeling the crush that the pressure of my job is, is just now beyond what I can stand. Crush, crush, crush. But I'm here to tell you today that God has put inside of us a pressure, an internal cabin pressure that is stronger than any of those outside forces that are trying to crush and destroy us. And he has filled us with something. It's on the inside. It's the internal pressurization. He's filled us with something that when the enemy wants to come and crush us, we have something stronger inside of us that simply says, greater is he. Greater is he. No, 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 no. Greater. You're not hearing me. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is that that's inside of me than that crush that's trying to come on the outside and destroy me. And the outside forces have to look at that and say, huh, something inside of them is keeping me from crushing them. So let me give you two words that will fill up your spirit and keep that outside pressure at bay. Here's the first word from Psalm 48. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Oh, believer... Therefore, you will not fear, though the earth should change. And let's be honest, this earth is constantly changing, but our God changes not. You and I may wake up in the morning and only discover that something has happened somewhere on this planet, maybe even in our own country, maybe even in our own state. And once again, we'll say, well, something else has changed in the world. And the only recourse we have to fight an ever-changing world is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And did you notice in that, what I just read, that verse from the psalm, it doesn't just say he's a present help, but it says he is a, a very present help in the time of trouble. A very present help in the time of trouble. It's extremely rare for the Bible to use very present because typically you would think that present is enough with God. But for whatever reason, and I don't know, the psalmist gives some sort of emphasis to this and, or he gives this oomph to the whole thing. He could have just said this, God is a present help in time of trouble. And that would have been good enough for us. But somehow in my crazy mind, I just see the Holy Spirit when the psalmist was pitting those words. Say, oh, 
No, 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 no. I want you to say, God is a very present. Put that in the Word of God. He's a very present help. And we're going to kick it up a notch. It's like when your children say to you, Dad, are you going to be in my soccer game? Mama, you're going to make my baseball game? And Dad, you don't simply say, yes, my child, I shall be there. Mama, you don't say, mm-hmm. No, 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 no. What that verse is saying by putting that little word very in there, he's kicked it up a notch. He's not just saying, yes, my child. He's saying, I am so there. I'm going to be like white on rice at your soccer game, baby doll. And what that means is when everything is changing all around you, making you so nervous, and you feel like you're completely losing your footing and, and, and your stabilization, and you feel so unsettled and unstable, dear one, you have no need to fear because God himself is your very present help in the time of trouble. The choir sings it so wonderfully, my help. Julie Barnett sings, and my help, all of my help comes from the Lord. So remember this, when everything in your world is changing, he is your very present help in time of trouble. So those two words, very present. So worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. The last encouraging word I want you to know is this. That the righteous never have to fear bad news. Sometimes I want to go, what are we all shook up for? To live as Christ, to die as gain. What's the worst thing that could happen? You're going to be with Jesus. But the righteous never have to fear bad news. Psalm 112 says this. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. That's you and me. Do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. The righteous have no fear of bad news because their hearts are steadfast and confident in the Lord. Whatever comes on your television set, whatever news you read on the internet, Whatever bad news comes knocking at your door and whatever else comes with it, hear me, you have no need to fear because you trust in God. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. Charles Wesley, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to try to close with this. Charles Wesley, who wrote more than 6,000 hymns about 300 years ago, just a little under 300 years ago, he certainly penned many of the finest hymns the church has ever known or sung. Oh, four thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, the honors of Thy name. I love this verse, one of my favorites. He says, Jesus, the name that charms our fears. What an interesting word. What an interesting choice of word. Charms our fears. You mean those fears that make us crazy? Yes. Those sleepless nights where darkness seems so ominous and threatening. He can charm the yes. Those unhealthy thoughts that can so easily get out of control. 
He charms our fears. I want to say this to you this morning. There is one name and one name only that can charm your fears. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Those sorrows that have you so downcast, those sorrows that have your head buried in the ground. I want you to know this. The name of Jesus can make those sorrows go bye-bye. Be gone in the name of Jesus. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. How many join me this morning being grateful for the name of Jesus in the midnight hour? It is said that when Charles Wesley wrote the hymn, he couldn't stop writing verses. Do you know that he wrote over 70 verses to that hymn? 70. He just couldn't stop. He just couldn't stop. He basically said the more he thought about Jesus, you know, when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, when I just allow my mind to think about Jesus, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with what I needed on the inside to push those forces on the outside, he filled me with the Holy Ghost. He saved me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up from the pit I was in and turned me around and placed my feet on solid ground. Oh, it makes me want to give a quiet little hallelujah. When I think about the Lord... It makes me want to shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So Brother Wesley just couldn't stop writing verses. He wrote over 70 of them. We have four or five of them in our hymnal, typically. Oh, but I love the one he says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. <laughs> He's a chain breaker, Jovan. Breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the... Is there anybody who's been forgiven in this house today? Oh, my goodness. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. Oh, the blood of Jesus... Oh, the blood of Jesus, his blood availed for me. Would you stand with me in this house this morning, please? Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. Somebody lift your hands and say, Lord, I thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Blessed be your name. We don't walk in fear today, Lord God, because our God is in control. Our God rules. Our God reigns. We walk out of here this morning, I want us to leave with two things in mind. First of all, you have no need to fear. It's the title of this message. I'm not real creative with that stuff. You have no need to fear. No matter what you're facing, you walk out of here and you lift your head high and you remember this, that you have a very present help in time of trouble. 
And secondly, let's glean from the Word of God this morning a healthy perspective on listening to the news of this world. And let's be reminded that our sovereign God is in charge of this planet. He's in charge. He's in control. It's what He wants, what He wills is what's going to happen. Let the scoffers, let the cynics, let all the pundits on the news stations say whatever they want. Because you know what? Our God laughs at them. Bless their little hearts. God can use anybody or anything to accomplish His will and His purpose. For the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God, and He shall reign forever and ever. So therefore, church, this morning, your hope, your trust, and your confidence is not in horses and chariots or anything of this world, but our hope and our trust is in the name of the Lord, and He's the one who made the heavens and the earth. Church, we serve a great, big, wonderful God. I've asked the prayer team to take their places. They've done because these altars are going to be open. Open for what? Very simply. Maybe you're the one that was discussed this morning. You've walked away from the Lord. Maybe you think, well, I'm good. I'm good, you know. But you know good and well that you're not in the place with God that you need to be. That somehow this morning your heart has been quickened. And you want to either give your life to Jesus, if it's for the first time, hallelujah, you will never make a better decision in your life. It's to give your life to Jesus. Or maybe it's to rededicate your life and say, I'm coming home. I have wandered way too long, and I'm coming home. Because I want to live under the shadow of the Almighty, the Almighty God. Maybe that's you. So these altars are open for that. They're also open for anyone that you say, you know what, I've been living in fear, but I don't want to live in fear any longer. I want to accept the truth of the word this morning. I don't want to live like that. And I want someone to pray for me and anoint me with oil and give me those words. There is no need to fear because I have a very present help in the time of trouble. 